All right, we're going to spend some time studying the Bible now. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the middle. We're in the book of Proverbs. We're now ending our Proverbs series today and next week. So we're in Proverbs chapter 31. We've called the series Scandalous Wisdom, and we've talked about how this wisdom is scandalous and shocking to the world, and yet it is grace-giving because we serve a God of grace. And so as we've come to Proverbs again and again, we've been challenged to listen to his voice. That's essentially what wisdom is, is listening to the voice of God. And so this week, as we enter into the last two lessons of Proverbs, in Proverbs 31, we're kind of resetting to the verse-by-verse format in Proverbs. Uh, If you've been with us the whole time, we saw chapter 1 through 9, verse-by-verse, kind of clear, cohesive sections of 5 to 20 verses through the first nine chapters. And then we split off for the last several weeks into topical series because that's the way the rest of the book goes. It goes in little, you know, two verses here and four verses here on all kinds of different topics. And so that's what we've been following through different topics. Now we're ending the book, chapter 31. We have two great lessons from the mother of King Lemuel. Two great lessons from the mother of King Lemuel. This week we're calling it Lead wisely. It's a lesson for kings. Next week, it'll be on the superwoman, the valiant woman, the Proverbs 31 woman. That's the last week, the great climax and finish, the finale of Proverbs. This week, though, it's the first nine verses. Proverbs 31, verses 1 through 9. Lead wisely. Lead wisely. Now, before we get into it, I want to clarify that leadership is something that applies to people that have explicit leadership roles, right? If you're a teacher or a commander or a parent, right, you know, oh, I have a a leadership responsibility. But it applies to all believers. We are all prophets, priests, and kings in the body of Christ. He calls on us to have influence. And so you might just have influence on one or two people, but followers of Jesus are to have influence, We are to serve others. We are to lead others wisely. So we'll get really good instructions here from the mother of King Lemuel. And as we look at it, we want to recognize up front this lesson that we've seen again and again in Proverbs, and that is that great leadership starts at home. It starts with listening to our parents. In this text, specifically, the king being challenged to listen to his mother, George Washington, Booker T. Washington, both credited their mothers with impacting them with great wisdom to lead others. One of the great founding fathers of Christianity is St. Augustine, the great African bishop of Hippo. And he's famous for having a faithful mother who exhorted him and prayed for him. My own mother has been faithful to teach me wisdom, to teach me how to lead. I like to tease her sometimes that her greatest proverb is, are you drinking enough water? You need to drink more water. I tease her about that. We have a little back and forth about it. My sweet mom, she's actually here today. She's a huge blessing. I, I want to publicly honor her, though, for something even greater than drinking water. And that is, just like Paul commended the mother of Timothy, he said, your mother has passed on to you this sincere faith in Jesus. And so I want to thank my mother for that, because that's really even more important than drinking water. Although it is getting dry. Thank you. Yes. It's getting drier out. So y'all, make sure you're drinking enough water, okay? Drink more water. It's a good idea. Well, as we listen to King Lemuel's mother, we're going to get really specific advice. 
really specific advice. She's going to tell him to pay attention and to follow his lead in three specific areas. Let's read her words shared by him. Oh, and by the way, I don't know who King Lemuel is, okay? Just to clarify that, we trust because the prophets and priests and kings of God's people have affirmed God's word and Jesus himself said this is God's word. We trust that it's God's word to us and it speaks to us with authority and relevance. But I'm not sure if King Lemuel, according to scholars, is either some pagan king that converted to Yahweh and started worshiping God, or it's a nickname for Solomon. We're not really sure. There's some, some kind of same letters between Lemuel and Solomon. So some scholars are like, ah, we just think it's a nickname for Solomon. Others think he was some pagan king that converted because he's not, the name specifically is not one of the great kings of Israel. So we're not exactly sure who he was, but we trust because of Jesus' respect for the scriptures that he's speaking to us the words of God. So let's read Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 9. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. King Lemuel's mother starts off by saying, pay attention to my words, just like we've seen again and again throughout Proverbs. Listen to your parents. Leadership starts at home. Listen to what your parents have to say. When your parents tell you things that are in direct contradiction to the Bible, say, no thanks, I'm going to go with God's word. But the default, the starting position should always be to respect and listen to our parents. And that's what's repeated again and again throughout Proverbs. And that's where King Lemuel's mother starts off. But then she gives him really specific things that she wants him to obey. I'm going to pray that God's Spirit would help us to listen more than just to King Lemuel's mother, but to God's Word, to God's voice speaking to us during this time. So let me pray for us that His Spirit would meet us. God, we pray that You would speak to us. We believe that this book speaks to the authority and relevance of Jesus Himself. And so we entrust ourselves to your spirit that you would meet with us, that you would open our ears and our hearts to your truth. God, help us to not be distracted by our own prejudices, our own thoughts, but help us to hear clearly what you're saying in this, in this text, in your word. We pray that you would change us, that you would transform us, that we would have, by your grace, an impact on those around us. Just like Jesus impacted us, Lord, you send us into the world to impact others. Help us to follow him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the start is this funny phrase in our translation that says, what? What are you doing? What are you doing? Verse 2, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And I just want to help you to see that that's not so much a question of, oh no, you're violating all these things I'm challenging you to. But in the Hebrew, it's just a funny little particle of a word that if you read the other English translations, is sometimes translated as pay attention. It's sometimes translated as listen. So it's just a short little particle 
uh, that in our context is similar to sometimes preachers will say, can I get an amen? Have you ever heard a preacher say that? It's this kind of entreaty to pay attention. I have a nervous tick. Sometimes I say, right? Have you all ever noticed I do that? Right, right. And I'm trying to get you to, to give me some feedback. Like, are you paying attention? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that's what King Lemuel's mother is saying. She's saying, pay attention. And then these are the three things that she tells him to pay attention to, okay? This is what she wants us to pay attention to as well. Wise leaders fight lust. Wise leaders fight lust. It's been a huge theme throughout Proverbs. Wise leaders fight lust. Number two, we see wise leaders endure pain. Wise leaders endure pain. Talks about wine, strong drink, helping us forget the hardness of life. She says, wise leaders endure pain. And then thirdly, wise leaders speak up. Wise leaders speak up. It says, open your mouth, open your mouth. Pay attention to the the hurting people. Open your mouth, speak up for them. Wise leaders speak up. So number one, wise leaders fight lust. Wise leaders fight lust. The opposite of lust, biblically, is sacrificial love. So you've got a choice that's set before you. Are you going to pursue your own lust, or are you going to pursue sacrificial love? Our culture tells us that we are defined by our lust. Christianity says that our lust will lead us astray. We all have unique Different sorts of lusts, but they're all leading us away from Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate desire. And when we see him as the fulfillment of our desire, he'll lead us towards sacrificial love. This is how King Lemuel's mom says it. What are you doing, my son? Pay attention. My son, what are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? What I want you to see is she's rooting her charge to him in sacrificial love. Do you see that? Even as she's charging him not to give in to lust in the next verse, she's saying, pay attention to me, the one who has sacrificially loved you. I I bore you in my own womb. You are born out of the covenant vows of my own marriage and my own commitments to God. You are in relationship with me, son. She's... She's centering her charge to him in her sacrificial love. She's giving him the model of like, I've, I've loved you. Now, don't waste your strength as a king on lust. And again, the biblical opposite of that is, instead, spend yourself on sacrificial love. So she roots it in her relationship, father, uh, mother and son. She roots it in sacrifice. She bore him in her own womb. She roots it in covenant vows, son of my vows. And then she gives the charge. Verse 3, don't give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Don't give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Now we want to be careful. This is poetic language. We're reading poetry here, right? So we don't want to take it overly literally. We want to literally absorb the charge without literally absorbing every little detail, right? So there's a sense in which it's right and good to give your strength to women, right? Men are often statistically, stronger than women. And one of the burdens of our strength is to give that strength to help women, right? Like if a short person asks me to reach something on the top shelf, I will do that. I will give my strength away, right? If someone needs me to open a jar, I will open a jar, right? I I spend myself. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about sexual immorality. This is talking about throwing away your strength, your virility in lust. 
That's what it's talking about. It's echoing Proverbs 5. It's echoing Proverbs 6. It's saying, don't give your strength away in that way, in this addictive lust that can never really be satisfied. The Bible tells us again and again that it's a danger. It's a trap. It's something that leads us to death. So what's the opposite of that? Well, healthy leaders will give themselves some sacrificial love, and they will fight lust. Lust is an ongoing issue in our lives that we have to fight. We have to war against. A famous English pastor named John Owen said it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you're a homeowner, you don't just coast, right? It's it's the hard news of of buying a home. You buy a home and you're like, I have a home now. It's going to be great. And then like the rats come and the termites come and the weeds come and the foundation cracks and the wood rots. Like you have to continually fight against that decay. And in our own influence, we have to fight lust and sin and decay. We have to be proactive. We can't just coast like, oh, life's just going to be fine. One of my favorite Martin Luther quotes is, if your head is made out of butter, stay away from the fire. If your head is made out of butter, stay away from the fire. Now, Martin Luther had a great way of writing, you know, bumper stickers, but that's kind of true of everybody, right? <laughs> like to varying degrees, we just have different issues, right? Like we have different temptations, different lusts, different draws, different lures, different things that enchant us, but we all have to actively fight sin. That, that's what John Owen's saying. You have to actively fight sin. Romans 8 says it's by the Holy Spirit. It's not all on your own. You're not alone. You've got Christian community. You've got the Word of God. You've got Jesus walking beside you, but you've got to fight. You've got to fight against it. I think in our culture, again, we're told, this is what defines me. The unique thing that I want is who I am, and it's my personality, and it's my identity, and it's my life, and if you tell me not to want what I want, you're telling me I should die. And the Bible says, yeah, we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. There's a sense in which we have to die. Jesus says, if, if you want life, you have to lose it for my sake. And so Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you have to die if you want real, real life. Follow me. Listen, listen to my voice. Um, one of my greatest concerns for us today in the area of lust is just the phone, right? But we all carry them around in our pocket. I grabbed a picture of people looking at their phones. Um, I'm not a Luddite. I don't think we should be anti-technology. Uh, I don't think we should just not use technology because some people sin with it, right? I think we have to be careful. I've got a phone I'm using right now as a timer. I'm not actually surfing the internet, but I'm timing myself. Um, I use phones, right? But also, you've got to be really careful. You can't just coast with a phone. You can't just coast with technology, with freedom, with relationships, with leadership, but you have to proactively fight sin. What I see often is parents give these phones to their kids. And they're saying, hey kid, I can't control myself and I'm addicted and this thing's ruining my life. Let me give it to you as well, right? And I really want to encourage you, if you're a parent, your kids should not have free reign. Maybe you want them to have a phone, but you better lock that thing down. Maybe you need a phone, but, but you better put covenant eyes or some kind of protective software on there to keep your eyes holy 
to help you, to put some speed bumps at least between you and sin and lust. Um, So often we talk about the inconvenience of things like this. I've heard it again and again with people who are caught in sin. Well, I didn't want to go through the inconvenience of avoiding the sin, so now it's killing me. Go ahead and go through the inconvenience. Take some steps. Spend some money on some extra software. Or maybe even throw your phone away, right? Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And just to be clear, I think that was exaggeration. But throwing a phone away is not too much, right? So if you need to, throw it away. If you need to change jobs, change jobs. If you need to move cities, move cities. If you need to rearrange the structure of your life, rearrange the structure of your life. But you've got to actively fight lust if you want to have any influence on others. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 clarifies specifically with sexual love that there are two different train tracks that we can run down. Healthy ways to express our sexual desire. One is to enjoy that in lifelong heterosexual covenant marriage. And that marriage, we're told in many other passages of Scripture, should look like the way Jesus loves the church. And the church trusts Jesus. So we have a roadmap for what sacrificial love is to look like. Sacrificial love in marriage. And then he gives us another roadmap in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, there's another alternative for sacrificial love. It's the glory of lifelong celibacy. That's actually a good thing. Paul affirmed it and said, this is a good and beautiful thing. And I've given my life to it so that I can sacrificially love and serve others. Jesus gave himself to it. It's a blessing. The scripture clearly blesses it. And so we struggle with that. When we taught on 1 Corinthians 7, we struggled with that because we were like, we kind of wish that, that God would just give us, like, which one's better? Like, are the singles better than the marriage? Are the marriage better than the singles? He just says, it's a choice. Both of those are choices. The goal with either one is sacrificial love. When you go back and read 1 Corinthians 7, whether you're pursuing marriage or you're pursuing singleness, Your goal is to serve and to love others. That's the goal. So either way, we're fighting lust. Either way, we're sacrificially serving and loving other people. So my question for you is, um, where are you on the spectrum? Where are you in your struggle? Have you begun to fight? Have you begun to take first steps? Are you recognizing how your lust is pulling you away from the things of God? Have you begun to deal with it? Have you begun to name the problem and sort through the issues. We have a model in Jesus of what sacrificial love is to look like. In Ephesians 5, it says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The New Testament always brings it back to what God has done to us so that neither I nor the pages of the New Testament nor Proverbs is telling you, just fix your life and then God will love you. No, it's saying, God loves you. So stop killing yourself. God loves you. He has better things for you. Walk in love because Christ loved you. We don't walk in love to to get his love. We walk in love because Christ has loved us. So hear those words from Jesus. He gave himself for you. Now he's saying, now give yourself to him and give yourself to others in faithfulness and in love. So it starts with our identity. Who are we? Am I fighting to get God's attention or am I a beloved child of God? It starts there. And then it's like, well, because I'm a beloved child of God, I can put these things to death. I can fight this lust and I can begin to obey Jesus and to follow him. It's important to take proactive steps of structure 
I think a lot of times in the history of Christianity, we swing from one side to the other. You know, we're all about grace and identity and God's love for us. And then others are, we're all about structure and practical guidelines to keep us from sinning. And really the Bible proposes both things as really important, right? You want the foundation of knowing his love for you. And then the overflow of that love gives you the the gumption and the fight to employ some structures. Be like, okay, I need some people checking on me. I need to get in a group and talk to other people. I need to join Celebrate Recovery or I need to have an accountability partner. I need to put this software on my phone or whatever it may be. I need to take these hard steps. I need to build structure into my life because Jesus loves me because of his kindness to me. I want to follow him now. I want to take hard steps. So I encourage you to take those next steps and then finally be productive, right? Marriage is for being productive, serving, blessing the world. Singleness is for being productive, serving others, loving others. No matter what track you choose in life, we're on the same track of sacrificial love, serving others. That's what we're called to. That's the design. Are you serving others in your home? Are you serving others in your neighborhood? Are you serving others at work? Serving at the church, we're always inviting you into that process. One of the beautiful sanctifying effects of service is that sometimes it's easy. We're using our gifts and we're like, this is awesome. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Sometimes we feel that. Other times we're like, this is really hard. Oh, Jesus, please help me, right? Sometimes we're struggling. We're just kind of like clawing our way forward. Jesus, I think you called me to do this, but this is so hard. Will you help me? And as we learn to depend on Jesus prayerfully, he grows us. He transforms our character through our service as we learn sacrificial love as we look to Jesus. Okay, second point, wise leaders endure pain. Wise leaders endure pain. This one's going to be a little more controversial, but I think we can, we can kind of drill down to the essence of it. We might agree, uh, disagree on some of the specific applications, but we can agree on wise leaders endure pain. And the positive side of that is we're called to alertness and sobriety alertness and sobriety. We're called to pay attention, to be aware. So let's read the text. It's verses four through seven. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what's been decreed, the laws. They pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Instead, she offers, verse six, give strong drink to the one who's perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. So I grabbed a picture of anesthesia. If you've had surgery, typically they'll try to numb the pain for you before the surgery. Some of you may be really tough and you just like bite a belt or something. I don't know. (laughs) But typically in our modern world, we give this, it's not strong drink, but it's the same idea, right? We're numbing the pain. And so leaders are called to endure pain, to not constantly be pursuing a way out. God, this is too hard. I need to numb the pain. I need to, I need to check out. I need to find a way out of this. Now, I want to clarify the call is to something positive. We want to maintain sobriety, clear thinking, and alertness. That's that's the call, right? Like that's the positive direction that we're moving in here. We're not called to endure pain in the sense of 
Pain is great. We want more pain. If I'm going to be a good leader, I'm just going to go looking for pain. Like, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we're going to have to endure pain in the pursuit of the sacrificial love of this godly, grace-giving leadership that God has called us to, no, no matter where we're leading. There's going to be pain involved. We live in a world of pain. If you have philosophical problems with that, I keep recommending The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Hard to read, but really well written. And the gist is like, yeah, this, word is, this world is painful. So what are you going to do? Are you going to trust Jesus and try to make things better? Or are you going to just be mad at God and sit out? Sit yourself on the sidelines because the world is too painful. Wise leaders endure pain just like Jesus did for us. Uh, so the flip side of this is unwise leaders just saying, man, life's too hard. I'm just going to drink. I'm just going to numb out. So we can start with you know, the big picture of anesthesia. That's for those who are struggling and who are dying. Give it to them, right? Put them on hospice. Help, help them make it to the finish line. We would all say that, that kind of makes sense, right? And we're, we're kind of getting closer now to the actual controversy. Like, what is the text really saying? Is the text saying that a leader should never let alcohol touch his lips? Or is the text saying, don't rely on these things? Um, Christians disagree. In our church, we have two sides of this. Some people would say the way to obey this is just never drink. And say, God bless you. That's a perfectly reasonable way to interpret this. Others would say the way to obey this charge is to maintain sobriety, to never get drunk. We often use that, uh, the phrase is moderation, right? Only drink in moderation. Now, I think, because it's poetry, when you step back and read the whole Bible, what this is saying poetically is, man, you better watch out, that stuff's dangerous, right? Don't rely on it. I don't, I don't take it to mean never let alcohol touch your lips. But I honor you. If that's, your, if that's the way God's called you to go, go for it. That's a smart way to go, right? I believe it to be teaching moderation in context with the rest of Scripture because we have so many other Scriptures that say, wine is a gift, you know, it gladdens the heart. And then others that are like, but don't get drunk, right? So there's this kind of balance we see biblically of alcohol can be a blessing, but it's also like a fire and you want to make sure you keep it in the fireplace and don't let it burn out of control. So that's how I understand it. But again, I honor and I respect you. We have different leaders and different Christians at our church that take both sides of that perspective. But both sides agree that alertness and sobriety, that's the goal, right? That's what we're trying to pursue. Whether you're pursuing it with a hard line, I'm just not going to mess around with it ever, or you're pursuing it with, I'm going to engage in moderation. Either way, we're pursuing alertness and sobriety. Wise leaders endure pain. Not for the sake of the pain, but for the sake of the mission. So we have this endurance call in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's actually one of the verses that were on screen during our songs. As a Holy Spirit, Chris and I didn't talk about this, okay? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 gives us this picture of life is like this hard race and we have to endure pain as we follow Jesus and he's kind of setting the pattern for us. He's the ultimate wise leader. So Hebrews 12, 2 says it this way, as you endure... As you go through difficulty, through pain in this life, watch Jesus. It says, look to Jesus, the leader. Uh, Some translations say the pioneer, the founder, right? He's the entrepreneur of our faith. He's the first leader of what we're doing here. Look to Jesus, the pioneer, the completer, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
It doesn't say, and Jesus played word games about pain and said, really, I like pain. Pain is joyful. No, it says he endured that pain for the future joy. The future joy of being reconnected with the Father in heaven. The future joy of seeing you and I saved and at one with him. For that joy, Jesus endured the pain of the cross, despising its shame, right? He wasn't playing around saying like, oh, good is bad and bad is good, and I love pain and I love shame. It's all good now. No, he endured that pain and difficulty to get to something better, to save you, to save me, to love us sacrificially. So wise leaders endure pain. Because Jesus endured the cross, we can maintain sobriety to lead others well. Even when life is is knocking us upside the head and we just want to give up, we just want to check out. No, he says, because I'm there with you, you can maintain sobriety. Now, beyond alcohol, I I would say, this is why I believe uh, recreational use of marijuana is a bad idea. Because I don't think there's a way to use marijuana and maintain sobriety. I don't think it's a good idea. I've never seen anybody do that. Never seen it work. That's just my, my practical. There's no Bible verses about marijuana, right? But there are Bible verses about maintaining alertness and sobriety. And I say, that's the goal. That we would stay clear-headed, even when it hurts. We just want to check out, right? We've been abused. We've been beat up. We've been betrayed. And we're like, man, I just don't want to feel this anymore. But the Psalms are full of expressions of giving our pain to Jesus, to giving that pain to God through honest lament, honest prayer, honest tears. And God heals us through that process. The Bible also calls on us to give that pain and give that lament to our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to share that burden. And there's real healing that comes out of that. We don't immediately stop feeling the pain. That's what's so risky about it, right? You can take that pill you can smoke that or drink that, and, and maybe you don't even think about the pain anymore. But I think what Jesus is calling us to is to endure the pain and begin to express that pain, to list that pain, to name that pain to him and allow him to deal with it. Say, Jesus, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know if I can go on. What do you want me to do next? As the psalmist says, oh Lord, how long? When are you going to save me? Aren't you going to save me? Are you going to leave me here? Is it going to keep hurting? I, I don't know what to do. And we need to take the risk of entrusting Jesus and our brothers and sisters in Christ with our pain. And I believe God will walk with us. He'll heal us. He'll say, I'm going to help you get to the next stage. Or sometimes he removes the pain altogether. So the opposite of that is numbing with drugs and alcohol. It may be numbing with a food addiction. That's really one of the most common things in our culture. Numbing with social media with screens, with movies, with entertainment, numbing with denial. So two practical steps. We name it, we pray it, say it out loud to Jesus, say it out loud to our friends and family and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. But another practical step you can take with addictive behavior, with pain-numbing behavior, is fasting. Uh, And we need to clarify what fasting is. We focus on it every year just as a church exercise before Easter. Um, we don't agree with all the Catholic teaching on Lent and all those traditions, but we take that time of year to say, hey, let's, let's work on fasting. It's a thing that a lot of Protestants don't know anything about. And fasting is basically saying, I'm going to go without this good thing. Food is often the main thing we go without, but I'm just going to go without it temporarily so that I can focus on how much Jesus is my real provision. 
So it's a temporary exercise. It breaks the power that good things can have, sometimes bad things, but good things can have an addictive power and a numbing power in our life. And so fasting is temporarily setting those things aside. You're not doing it to wave a flag and say, hey, God, look at me. I'm great. I'm super spiritual. You better bless me, right? That's not what we're doing. We're saying Jesus is enough so I can set these good things aside temporarily to to break the power that they have over my flesh and focus more on prayer and loving Jesus. It's an exercise. It's a temporary exercise. Again, not to win God's attention, but in response to the love that Jesus has given to us. And it's a great way to deal with the numbing exercises that we can often run to. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry that we have here that's based on the 12 steps. It's a great ministry that can help you to grow in trusting Jesus more than your favorite sin or favorite addiction or favorite bad habits. So encourage that ministry to you as well. They meet on Monday nights here at the church. All right, third point, wise leaders speak up. Wise leaders speak up. We speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. Wise leaders speak up. We see this in verses 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute. That just means those who can't speak. Open your mouth for the mute. Open uh, for the rights of all who are destitute. That can be poor, brokenhearted. It can even mean those who are dying. So those who are at the end of the rope. Verse 9, open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Open your mouth. Speak up. The Bible says this again and again, especially in Proverbs, especially in the Old Testament. A king's job, someone with money and power and access and resources, it's not his only job, but one of his important jobs that made the top three list for King Lemuel's mom is to pay attention to those who are weak and hurting. And so in our hot political climate, sometimes we can get confused about this, right? Because Ayn Rand says people need to learn responsibility and human agency. And so we don't help the poor. We just don't help them. We let them figure it out. And then Karl Marx says the poor can't help themselves. We got to destroy the rich, equally distribute everything, and solve the poverty problem so we don't have any more poverty, right? And both are are pretty extreme. Can we agree on that? Those are two non-Christian extremes, two non-Christian people that often drive the political process in our world. Biblical justice says, yeah, people need human agency. People need responsibility. People need hard work. Proverbs is full of that. They need to learn some self-reliance and some responsibility. And then we're also told, and watch out for poor people that have been beat up and have been kicked around and are having a hard time. You don't want to just give them a handout and make them dependent on you, but you need to watch out and help them. You need to speak up for those who maybe are having their rights trampled because they have less access and they have less opportunity. So the Bible is always going to press us to balance those things out. Now, I want to get out of the political debate and just say, what does that look like in our own personal lives? In our own personal lives, I think it looks like making sure that we don't repeat the sin of our first leader, Adam. Adam, as best we can tell from just the way the story is told in Genesis chapter 3, Adam just sat there and didn't even open his mouth when an evil dragon was tempting and lying to his wife. His job was to slay the dragon. His job was to speak up. And he kept his mouth shut. 
So the Bible says, don't do that. Speak up. Take responsibility. Don't say, oh, I'm a king. Oh, I'm a leader. Oh, I'm a parent. Oh, I'm a commander. I don't have, I can just sit back. I've arrived. Now that position is for the very purpose of serving others around you. So speak up. Pay attention. I grabbed a picture of a a flashlight. I think this might be a helpful way to think about it because one of the key words for leader in the New Testament is episkopos. Episkopos. The Episcopal Church is named after this. It's often translated as bishop, but its most literal translation, epi, is like over, scopos, scope, looking over things, right? In most of our modern English translations, we translate it as overseer. Leadership is often paying attention. Are you watching out for others? Are you just looking at yourself? Like our culture right now is obsessed with our own internal desires. It says the way to freedom is looking at your own belly button, right? Like that's what our culture says. And Jesus says, no, the way to freedom is looking out for others, paying attention to the needs of others. Again, I'm not saying handouts and make them dependent on us and they can't do anything for themselves. No, I'm just saying care, look, listen, pay attention. If you have influence, you are there to serve others, to love others, to help them, to help them to grow, to become independent. So don't follow Father Adam, who just kept his mouth shut, but follow Jesus. Jesus is the example we are to follow. We're born in the tribe of Adam. By faith, we can join the tribe of Jesus. We're born in this family where dad didn't say anything. But by faith, we can say, Jesus, I need you. Help me to speak up. Help me not to remain silent when others need me and need my help. 1 John 2.1 says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. Jesus speaks up for us. When Satan accuses us, Jesus says, this one belongs to me. I gave my life for him. I've slain the dragon. He was defeated at the cross. I died to take your sins. I rose from the dead, proving that I have indeed conquered sin and death. Trust me. Walk with me. We have an advocate. We have someone who will speak up for us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel alone. Sometimes I have this voice in my head that says, I, got, I just got to figure it out. No one's going to help me. I don't know why I think that, because people help me all the time. And God has been gracious to me for 50 years. But sometimes I think, oh, I just got to figure this out. I can't ask for help. I can't run to Jesus with this. Let me, let me fix it first, and then I can go tell Jesus what a great job I did, right? But First John 2 says, We have this king, this advocate that speaks up for us, that intercedes for us, that loves us, that steps up. And King Lemuel's mom says, that's that's the kind of leader that we should be as well. We should step up. We should speak up. We should intercede for others. Are you seeing the needs of others and taking steps to address them? Do you see them? Do you speak up? One of my favorite books about Jesus is a book called Love Walked Among Us. It's written by Paul Miller. And it just follows the behavior of Jesus through the Gospels. And one of the major emphases in this book is it shows how Jesus saw people. He saw their hurt. He sees your pain. He's paying attention. We're used to people being too busy, 
you know, just ignoring us. How you doing? I'm doing fine. See you later. Jesus likes, he saw people, he looked, he paid attention, and he speaks up for us. And that's the same model that we should walk in. And we can only do that as we entrust ourselves more and more to Jesus, who is our leader. So we'll wrap up here. The leadership lessons that King Lemuel's mom gives to Lemuel in Proverbs really does match the same leadership lessons we see in the New Testament. The same leadership lessons we see throughout the Bible, we have this profile of this is what it looks like to lead. And so the Bible gives us instructions on how to lead. And so now that we all know how to lead, we will all just perfectly lead, right? We'll never make a mistake again because now we have the information, right? You should be saying, no, Dave, that's not how it works. No, we, we continue, thank you. We continue to fail, right? We continue to fail. So Jesus, Proverbs, the Bible not only gives us how to lead, but it actually changes us. Jesus is not just the model of leadership, but Jesus leads us all the way to life transformation, to salvation. Jesus gives us, by his work on the cross, by his resurrection, as we entrust ourselves to him, he gives us his very own spirit. We're not all alone just trying to figure out with the book that gives us guidelines, but we have a Holy Spirit, a Jesus who changes us from the inside out who renews us. So in 1 John 2, where we're told that Jesus is the advocate, it goes on to say this. The Apostle John says, I'm writing so you won't sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have someone speaking up for us with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the happy sacrifice for our sin. A lot of the translations say he's the propitiation. Propitiation is this funny Greek word that means God makes himself pleased with us. Sometimes it's translated atonement. Sometimes it's translated sacrifice. Through God's very own work, he's pleased with you and pleased with me. He's taken the steps to redeem your leadership and redeem my leadership. So that as we entrust ourselves to Jesus, he transforms us. He he gives us real spiritual power in whatever circle of influence we have. So I want to come back to the wise words of my own mother, drink more water. Like that's been the theme throughout Proverbs, right? The theme throughout Proverbs is that God's voice, wisdom is a fountain of life. Don't neglect the fountain, run to the fountain. We live in a dry and weary land and we need to drink more water. And Jesus makes it very clear in John 4 and John 7, he's the water. Jesus is the water. Drink more water. Are you drinking enough water? You need to drink more. You need him, and he'll change your life. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us yourself. We pray that you would continue to transform our lives. Jesus, we often feel shame for things we've left undone, for ways that we've failed, for ways that we've misled others but you're a forgiving king. You're the perfect leader. You're the one that's actually redeeming our mistakes, forgiving our sin, and giving us resurrection power. So help us to continue to walk forward, taking the next steps we need to lead wisely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.